Hello, and welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This episode is a recording from our recent event, Content's Juxtaposition, Creating a Scalable Content Future in the Run-Up to a Recession. Our panelists were Robin Benefield from Marriott, Rebecca Coates from Savills UK, Jay Fonville, formerly from Geico, and David Brown, Notch's Director of Strategy. And it was moderated by me, Ellen Schwartz. Marketing teams are being asked to meet ambitious demands to scale, while budgets are shrinking with the foreshadowed recession. How do we move forward in these competing environments? We discuss creating a distinct point of view for your brand, how customer journey data can improve content performance, the impact of tools like ChatGPT on the future of marketing, and finally, how the role of the content leader has changed and will change. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe. Hello, and welcome to everybody who is joining us. You are here at a Notch workshop, which is called Content's Juxtaposition, Creating a Scalable Content Future in the Run-Up to a Recession. Really excited that you're here. I will take a moment to introduce our panelists. We are joined by Robin Benefield. You're the Editorial Director of Marriott Content Marketing at Marriott. You've been there for about eight years, and previously you've been freelance, which I'm sure lots of people in this audience can relate to, but also, upon stalking you on LinkedIn, you worked at Animal Planet. You got to be the person who chose what got on Animal Planet's website, which was awesome. Did you want to say hello, and where are you joining us from? Hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited for the conversation. Yes, I got to pet a panda while I worked for Animal Planet as a fun fact. I'm joining you from the Washington, D.C. area, Bowie, Maryland, specifically. Very good. Thank you for being here. Next up, we have Rebecca Coates. You are marketing director at Savills UK. You've got some wonderful back experience at Thomas Reuters and KPMG, which are like some of the biggest names that you could pretty much work for, especially over in the UK. So thanks. And where are you joining us from? I'm in London this evening. Don't let the accent fool you. I'm Scottish, but been in London for over 11 years now, actually. And so it's a bit later for me, but very, very pleased to be here. And thanks for inviting me. Yes. And thank you for being here too. So next up, we have Jay Fonville. You're a former head of content marketing from Geico. You were there for about 20 years and looking through your LinkedIn profile made me feel like you might've been the person to like give the gecko his name, but you worked your way up from sales associate all the way through many, many marketing roles. And then finally found your way to being one of the lead content makers marketers there. So I want to say hi, and where are you joining us from? Yes, thank you, Ellen. I am joining as well from the Washington, D.C. area. I'm in a city called Tacoma Park in Maryland, and you are correct about the gecko. I have been the voice of the gecko on social media and digitally for a very long time, and the fact is, is that he does not have a name. So that is one of those things we kept going as we built out his persona on social channels. It was a running theme. Okay. So I'm very happy so. to be here and talk about all the exciting things coming up for content marketing. Excellent. And finally, our fourth panelist is my coworker here at Notch, your SVP of strategy, David Brown. Hello, and where are you joining us from? Hi, Ellen. It's nice to see you. I'm, I'm calling from bucolic Darianne in Connecticut. So it's, thanks everyone for joining. We're here today to talk about creating a scalable content future. All four of you have tons of experience within this. So first thing we wanted to talk a little bit about is how do you create those distinct themes that sustain a true point of view? And how does that all react to as you go into a recession specifically? Robin, why don't you start us off? Sure. Thank you again for, for having me. I think for us, one of the things that we do, I mean, we're thinking thematically in general, right? We want to be showcasing our content according to the way people travel. We want to be thinking about our content seasonally, and we monthly come up with these themes that we are, that are targeting our newsletter. We have a newsletter that goes to about 12 million members, and each month we have a specific theme that we're focusing on. And this tends to power our day-to-day -day and how we're thinking about content. These themes we arrive at through trends that come from us internally. We have an internal team, CX team, that is looking at geosocial trends for us. And so we pull those through and that's how we're able to then, you know, to, to create our content on a regular basis. Some of this may feel familiar to, you know, and similar to 
other brands that are talking about travel. But I think it helps us from a utilitarian perspective. And, it, and it's what our users want. Things like road trips are, are super popular. Weekend itineraries are very popular for us. But then we might pull through some other themes that might pop for us. People are, are really interested in and traveling by neighborhood, for instance, to, to get really specific. Or people are very into traveling with their pets at this point, right? This is something that came out of the pandemic. A lot of people got pets, and so they are now traveling with their pets. And so there's there's stories that we're able to then pull through based on data that, that we're getting. But then there's also themes that we're exploring that explore values that are important to us at Marriott. Um, and we think our important to the broader community. Again, coming out of the pandemic, we know that travel means a lot more to us, right? People have started to understand that, um, you know, you may not be able to travel. It can be taken away from you. And so people are now traveling with more intention, with more meaning, more purpose. And so a lot of the stories that we are beginning to do or started really last year coming out of the pandemic and into this year are still really important to us, a more value-based stories. So how do you travel in more meaningful ways? How do you respect local culture when you're traveling? How do you respect the land when you're traveling? How are you staying in more sustainable ways? So we launched a, a franchise called How to Travel Better, which explores all of those things. Some of these articles are very utilitarian, but literally giving you the tips, you know, to take away your refuse if you're in a national park, those types of tips. But then also really exploring destinations and communities that are leading the way in a trend that it's been called regenerative travel, where you're going into a place and leaving it better than you left it. And by participating in, you know, activities, beach cleanups or or citizen science that allows people to learn more about a destination and and, and leave it better than, than when they entered it. So, so that's, you know, one aspect of how I think we, you know, are, are making themes more distinctive and more, I guess, authentic to us and how we want to tell stories. And I think it also resonates with people. I think it touches people personally. If, if this is a way that you want to travel, we're offering you, empowering you with ways to, to travel in these ways. And also to be able to see yourself in the stories that, that we're, we're creating. Yeah, that's wonderful. I like that. The visualization, I think very much is that you could travel to many places, but Marriott needs to take a very unique view that's based on what you can offer, but also what your values are. Rebecca, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think that for, for those who are sitting or standing or listening in any capacity and you're thinking, well, how do I decide my own themes? And for, for a bit of background, the sector which I work in, so it's the real estate sector. Savills are a global real estate brand. We are more commercially known in, in, in the U.S., so for, I think most people on this on this call being in the US, but in the UK, the residential part of the brand is, is what probably is more well known than the commercial part. So looking at residential property, so the buying, selling, letting and renting of, of homes and properties, it's a very competitive marketplace here. So it's hard to stand out compared to your competitors because we're talking to the same audiences in, a, in the same niche part of the market, mainly the upper end of the market. So what we call the prime market here. So for, for me from Savills, how do I how do I make sure my content is distinctive and how do I make sure my point of view is distinctive? Well, actually, there's such a blurred line for, between brand and content teams and, and what we do. And actually, by connecting your content strategy into your brand strategy, that's then a way where you can actually isolate some of those pillars and start to think about, well, what are the things that we want to talk about at Savills compared to our competitors? And, and I think actually brands can do a lot of things, but actually what content can do is pull that down and talk more about it and give further value. But to Robin's point as well about giving value to the, con the consumer, that's exactly what we want to do in the residential space as well. We, of course, we want to sell our homes and of course, we want to get people to instruct their properties for sale. We are... We are a commercial brand, we need to make money. But actually we want to make sure that we're providing them with that value along the way so that they choose Savills. You know, we're a premium brand. We're not the cheapest brand and we, we don't aim to be either, but we need to make sure there's that value exchange. And that's absolutely what content can do. But there's so many things to talk about. 
there are so many things you can keep going on. I don't think anybody on this call will be short of content. So actually by having those pillars, that helps frame what you actually want to push and what you actually want to market to your audiences. Yeah, I like that, that structure that that can provide. David, it looked like you might have, might have wanted to add something. I was going to ask Rebecca and Robin, how, how do you actually know that the work you're doing is distinct? I think it's, you know, through the work that we're doing with you all, of course, is to kind of pull people and say, is this a line? with your values. Did you, you know, we do brand studies also with other partners. We did a partnership with the Washington Post. I extended those same themes and, you know, learned that, you know, people were, were surprised and excited to know that, that, that we shared their values. And, you know, and even just on social recently, we posted something around Indigenous Peoples Month and, you know, the, the responses that we saw from people we're like, we're so glad that you're talking about this and that you have a point of view here. And I think it, it means that brands don't have to run away from, you know, showcasing the fact that they have a point of view on some of these issues and that, that it matters to them in it. And then it might actually align people more closely to, to you and your brand. I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to measure. It's difficult to assess, actually. I would say we'll all have in the, the companies that we work in various levels of access to information. We have a, a brand tracking kind of ongoing information that comes on a monthly basis. And then we get kind of more in-depth on a quarterly basis. So we're able to see how our brand is performing in terms of things like share of voice, more generally in sentiment as well, in comparison to our key competitors. So that's that's really helpful. But but actually that doesn't always tell you if the content's landing or not. So I think that's where, you, and I think we'll probably come on to this and when we talk about channels and things, but where having a clear measurement framework is really important. And of course, you can't have that clear measurement framework without clear objectives up front. So what are you trying to achieve with that piece of content? So I, I wouldn't say we're perfect at it. But we have a long way to go in terms of seeing if it lands or not. But if it connects into your brand, if you think it sounds like you, if you poll your audiences in whatever channel that could be on social, then it gives you a good indication of whether or not it's landing as well. Fantastic. One one of the things we've seen work really well is having a having an ongoing competitive tracker going so that as you think about themes, which just to be clear, a theme is your distinct point of view that only your brand can make. Just make sure that those areas you're tracking what your direct competitors are, are saying or not saying so that as you develop the work, you, you are distinct different different visual identity different entry point different tone of voice not different just for the sake of it but something which does connect to your brand or your values robin i, th I think the way that you described connecting to Marriott's values that's the first time i've heard a content leader say something that strategic it's it's literally going to your corporate brand strategy which i think is probably a good place to go if you if you have a brand to be proud of, like like Savills, Marriott, and Geico, they're they're each very very unique brands with a with a brand story to tell. Often the often the content strategy just doesn't reflect the brand strategy closely enough. Yeah, and that's something that I hear you say, but also just within the Notch blog, we talk about this a lot. So where you need to really, and I think Rebecca, you said this at the very tail end about the a good place to start is to look towards those business goals, the business real like the structure that is a little bit higher than what you're looking for to move towards those two so jay i'm not ignoring you i know that you're going to talk a little bit on this did you have did you want to yes i was say yeah, you know ahead. there's definitely lots of authority spaces that each brand gets to speak in and control the conversation in a way that says hey you know i am believable because this is what we do this is what we're the best at you have to be careful about that because you can spin off of that to create content and you can fall out of your authority space. It does happen to brands where you think you have a good connection, but you end up getting negative responses from your communities because you aren't necessarily the right authority to be talking about this subject. Also, content can change people's perspective of you as well. What they think they know about you at the beginning can change as they go on that content journey with you. In Geico's case, the most, you know, 
the most well-known, I think, mascot out there is the gecko. It's one of the highest sentiment valued mascots in the United States as well. So people really, really like them. But on discovery of Geico's brand, everyone knows that we offer the auto insurance, but what they don't realize is everything else that insurance companies can do and offer, especially when it comes to your lifestyle and your lifetime. So those are the areas that that Geico is looking at. That's what all the insurance companies are looking at as well. And we use a lot of data tracking on finding what is popular using search engine optimization to understand what questions people are asking about Geico and tying in with those keywords. And do we have content in place to help answer that for those customers seeking those answers? So that is a lot of the upfront research that goes into supporting your content channels, your content pillars before you start putting things in production and getting ready to release it. Yeah. Take you back a little bit off of what you're saying there about the things that people may not know about Geico and how content can 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 help tell that story. It's a similar case for us with having 30 some odd brands. People don't understand that all of that is a, is a part of the Marriott Bonvoy experience. And so the storytelling that we're trying to share people is is, is not only that you know, Merit Bonvoy is, is much broader than just a travel rewards program. It's not just about loyalty. You know, it's about all of these experiences that we can provide across these 30 brands. Then how do we, you know, how are we telling all of those different stories and laddering back up? So it's, it's a challenge, but, but also something that I think content can solve that we've been trying to do specifically around telling stories around our hotels and, and, and all of the experiences we can provide there. I think you're starting to kind of hint at it, but specifically about like that customer journey and the data that you can get from that. How do you use everything that surrounds that customer journey to then go back and improve the performance of your content, whether it's for your brand or like Robin, I love the example you just gave. It's like bringing 30 brands together to make sure that there's something holistic there. How is it that that all works together? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, for us, there's a, a method that we've started to begin around franchising and creating content sections that are able to, to do that for us. One we just stood up is called Travel by Design. And so we're telling the design stories of, of our hotels and, and showcasing the fact that Marriott Bonvoy is a leader in hotel design. And across these 30 brands, there are, of course, many gorgeous standout hotels and by, by showcasing them in film podcasts, written articles, we've been able to highlight, you know, all of those pieces to, to our consumers and they're surprised. They're shocked to learn this particular hotel is a part of the Marriott Bonvoy portfolio. You know, we didn't know that the Marquez de Riscal, which is this, this, you know, whimsical hotel that's been designed by Frank Gehry, you know, is, is a part of our, pro, our, our hotel family and you're able to stay there. And so it's, it's that, it's like showing our distinction through storytelling has been a great way to then also show the breadth of our, of our portfolio. Rebecca, go ahead. When it comes to customer journeys, I think it's important to make the distinction between content and content marketing. And as content marketers or most people on, on, on this webinar will most likely be involved in some way in content marketing. We all know what content is, but it's a very, very broad definition. And if we if we took on everything that, um, that was content within our roles, I think we would be absolutely exhausted. But actually, when it comes to content marketing, that's where I find the customer journey comes in because it's actually taking a piece of content and making it do something. And, and that when you work for a, a brand or a corporation, that has to lead back into the business goal and objective that, that Ellen mentioned earlier. But when it comes to actually mapping that out, you, you can't just sit down and map out your customer journey. You have to look at, you have to work with multiple teams around the business to do that. I'll take the example of, of somebody selling property. That's a very, very long life cycle. Most people do not sell a property every year. Most people do not sell a property every 10 years in the UK. So there's actually two journeys there for me. There's the emotional journey to the brand. 
the emotional journey when it, that you, you take when you engage with the brand and you might not even know that's happening then actually there's the transactional journey from when you are in market so you, in this case you've decided that you need to sell your property or you've been triggered by a life move that might be your your kids are moving out and you want to downsize or your family's growing and you want to upsize and then you're looking for the brand that you want to choose to work with and, and your agent in this case and, and actually, that's really complicated because in a, I work across both B2B and B2C. No journey is linear and no two journeys are really the same. It's it's a bit more complicated in the B2C space, but actually in in the B2B space, it's just it's just as complex. We're not going to kid, kid ourselves and think that it's easier. So my advice would be don't make it too complicated. I think you need to try and get to the, the kind of basic common denominator for, for, for your business. And we're, we're quite lucky in the sense that we've got roles defined here. We, we know who our different types of clients are in terms of transactional stages of the journey. And we've started to identify personas as well. So who are these people? What do they like? What do they need from us as, as a brand? And that, and that helps map the journeys out. And then from when you've got the journey in place, that's then when you add the content onto that and you understand what the content is, where it adds value, what the format is, what the frequency is, what it talks about. This is a long process. It's not something you can, I think when I first came into this role, I thought oh, in six months, I'll have a content strategy with a fully mapped journey in place. And that was very naive. So kind of <laughs> three, three and a half years on, we're, we're much closer to that. Again, we're not 100% perfect in it yet, but it evolves over time and it, it involves so much input from other people around the business as well. Yes, lots and lots of head nods around from the panel. And I'm hoping within the audience too, everyone nodding along as we all hear you say very, very much the pain points that we've, we've all experienced. And I especially like your point about B2B versus B2C. It, you know, it turns out everybody's still just a human who you're selling to. So there's a lot that each can learn from the other. So Jay, I wanted to bring you in. Didn't know if you had any thoughts on this too, the customer journey data. I was going to say with measurement earlier that, you know, when you're asking the customer to take action in your content journeys, that is also what you're measuring. And then being able to see the quality of that customer that you've won over as well. And sometimes it's, it can be seen right away. Sometimes it may take years to understand the quality of that customer, and especially with brands that are developing relationships with customers for the long term as well. But the 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 rule of the game is that at with the law of large numbers, you continue to find your patterns, your trends, and you try to lean into them the best way that you can. And it will never ever be perfect. The customer will, will always be good at finding your blind spots and the chink in your armor and let you know about them. But at the same time, you have to look at your level investment and where you're getting the most satisfaction from your customer base. So all of that is going into it. And you do need to make sure that you're, you're set up properly to measure that. So you've got your funnels properly set up, that you're understanding those clicks that are coming through and that you're collecting that first party data the best way that you can so that you can go back and analyze those performances. The, the one thing I, I would add is that I think for us is that, I mean, we are thinking about content across the customer journey and, and where we might deliver specific types of content along the customer journey to serve someone. So mainly we're, we're playing in the inspiration phase, right? Top of the funnel, funnel, just, you know, hey, I'm thinking about a trip or, you know, I'm thinking about a hotel that might then you know, drop them into consideration. But then there are other places that we can play that are more utilitarian. For instance, we, at the end of a booking journey, if you're in the app or if you receive a confirmation email, you're then getting a destination guide from us that says, hey, we know we know that you're going to Dallas. So here's the destination guide that tells you the things to do in destination. And so, you know, we're often thinking about, okay, we're creating this, but where else can we put it? Can we, you know, merchandise it so that it's a value to the customer at the, at the right time? Yeah, it really relates back to how Rebecca said that that's kind of the distinction between just making any content versus making content that can work for you. I think that was the perfect example, Robin. We did have a question come through, which is that it really good. We get this question a lot, actually, which is a lot about the buy-in from the rest of your company. So Ryan sent in this question. He said, how much of your time and energy do you spend bringing your colleagues into this vision? Or does everybody just get it? 
And I like that he put get it in quotation marks because I feel like that is something that we're constantly working to try to convince our teams to do, especially if you're in a really new content role. Yeah, I think at Marriott, it, it has been embraced. And I will say this because over the last year, we have now truly a content marketing team. When I started with Marriott about seven years ago, there was there was not a content marketing team. You know, we stood up an editorial publication within a creative agency that was a part of Marriott. And, and so to see this evolution of now having a VP of content marketing and having teams that have been built out of this, this says to me that this is, this is, we're, we're putting dollars against this and, and it matters to, to our marketing initiatives and working not just from a U.S. and Canada perspective, but for it globally thinking about content. So it's, it's heartening to see and, you know, we know that people are in varying degrees of, of getting to this place, but but I, I think when you're in an organization that is embracing this, it's it's super powerful. Jay, definitely the the way companies are going to embrace things in the future definitely will continue to align with their values and the organizational changes that are that are happening as well. I I can tell you that with diversity and inclusion. It's going to continue to play a more and more important role with, with brands and the content that they're going to produce. It's something that's very important, you know, when it comes to the success of a brand. I think that we all understand that when it comes to being a very successful brand and, and being able to cater to the needs of, of all your customers, you need to have that customer segment reflected in your workforce. So the content's going to continue to reinforce a lot of those messages and give your customers those feelings that they need to, to feel, to, that they need to see, because they are aligning their values with their dollars with you too. So it's, it's going to continue to play an important role. Is it going to be the largest program at the company? Probably not. You know, at the end of the day, companies have to make money and those channels are going to continue to be the highest investments, the biggest teams. But but no one's ignorant to the fact that the role that content plays, especially when it comes to discovery, also when it comes to the organic search areas, it's, it's one of the most powerful places to be. If you're positioned properly with your content, when people are asking questions on both search queries and on YouTube, if you've got yourself set up properly, you will win, win those queries. You'll win those rankings. And that is also part of the strategy you need to be thinking about when you go into this too. Yeah. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some channel strategy next. So I come back to that too. David, what do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We, I think over the last few years, we probably worked with maybe 50 leaders and their marketing counterparts. And we've never heard a content leader say that they should spend less time proving the business case. It's always something to spend more time on. And the, the, the content leaders who let it drift often get a very nasty surprise at the end of the year when a CFO steps in and says, it's just too soft. It's like, where's the ROI? So I, I would my advice would be, however much time you're spending, you should probably be spending more remember that the C is actually for collaboration, not content. And because as content leaders, we have to be the best collaborators because we're so dependent on others. And of course, you'd expect this from Notch, the way to win everyone's loyalty is through measurement. Without measurement, we're in a very dark room. So just make sure that your, your measurement investments are growing as well. It's, it's hard to spend money on measurement, but just make sure that you are allocating properly. Most companies allocate 5% of their budget. Don't be afraid of spending 10%, 15%, because it will help you eliminate the wastage, which is wastage which we have to remove over the next few months if our budgets are, are, are flat or, or reducing slightly as people are waiting for the economic environment to become clearer. Yes, I would completely agree with that. Hopefully no one on the call is experiencing that yet, but we've seen it all around that it's time to get efficient and to really be able to show what's working and what's not working among your, your content, your demand gen, your whole funnel. Rebecca, why don't you round us out and then we'll move on. 
Yeah, I, I spend quite a lot of time at the moment bringing people into the vision and really educating them almost on what content marketing can do. I, I would say that the wider business, the other teams are very bought into the vision in the sense that, you know, it can do something, but it, it's up to us to be able to really articulate that. It, we're in a, you know, we've not been doing this for a long. I was the first content marketer at Savills three years ago. So lots of people produced content and lots of people had roles within channels, but there was nobody really looking at how that all comes together as, as a bigger picture story. And we are, we, are, we are not short of content, as I'm sure a lot of you are not either. We have lots of it, but it's our role to really articulate the bits that we're going to focus on and what's actually going to help meet those business objectives. So I, I, I would say that keep talking to people. It's really, really important. We can never, ever be an island in content marketing because we cannot function without the two bookends or multiple bookends that support us I think we sit in in the middle you know you've got your brand and awareness activity at the kind of upper end of the funnel obviously we go into that as well then you've got really kind of acquisition performance marketing which we're kind of pulling pulling people through to as well and and it, again it doesn't work linearly I don't believe in a linear funnel but I would say that we need to articulate what our value is and when it comes to budgets and spending things we've been used to doing this with quite modest budgets I think that's okay. Prove if something works, then ask for more. Don't go in with something really, really kind of out there and big. Because if you can't prove it works, then you've just wasted money. And, and you've also not proven the value. So it's almost like start small, think about what you can actually make an impact on. And you know, my rule always is, is think about the market context as well. Do you need to spend that money? Is it better suited elsewhere? Do you have enough people entering the top of the funnel to bring them down? Because if there's not those people there, then how? what, what is the role for content? You have to think about it holistically, and that really involves working with with your marketing colleagues as well. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to summarize everything that that just was. So thank you, Ryan, for the great question. Within all of those answers, I heard channels pop in and out. So I think I remember Robin mentioning email and how you can use that to really make sure the right content is getting in front of the right person. And Jay, you mentioned SEO and social and making sure that all works together. So how are you looking at those specific channels and personalization requirements that are going to be more and more important? It, it's one of those things where personalization is not new to anyone, really. I think what is changing is the way customers are, are using their devices and how they use different channels to communicate which are going to be more important to try to find that personal element within. One of the things that really excites me and something that, you know, I, I like to work on or I had worked on for a long time was, was assigning social profiles to your first party data and being able to create personalized experiences out of that. That was something that, you know, really opened up a lot of new ways to have conversations and deliver those one-on-one -on -one experiences with the customers because you got both sides of the, of the equation at that point, especially as a big marketer and an advertiser putting out a lot of content in, with, for entertainment purposes or infotainment purposes, however you want to define that. But at, at the end of the day, building that, building content to create engagement for your brand also gave a history of who talked or who engaged with that content in the past. And when you're a big brand with multiple product offerings, you can see which messages were engaged with by that, by that user when there's a customer service issue at hand. So if you have that history and you're able to personalize it based upon those past experiences, knowing what they are interested in already, seeing the types of sentiment or comments that they have put into those conversations in the past and knowing their current status with you as a customer and what they're trying to solve, you can really tailor that experience for them. And you can play that. I really understand who you are. I get, you know, I, I know how you like your coffee in the morning type conversations. And that's what customers really want. They're already expecting it. They, they already think all this data they're, they're, entering into your system that you're collecting it properly and that you're remembering and retaining it the same way that they've entered it into your system, which we all know is not necessarily true. And that's part of the experiences you're trying to recreate because that's about 80% of what customers want is they don't want to have to repeat themselves. They want you to not treat them like a number. And that's really part of that personalization experience. Absolutely. David, you're nodding emphatically. Do you want to go next? 
Yes, well, you know, in a prior life, Jay and I worked together on a personalization initiative for Geico, so it brings back happy memories. But I think personalization is the natural extension of a really advanced content strategy. And many CMSs, the, the application which your website sits on has personalization features, which most marketers just aren't using. So there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to, to work with your web team and just understand the, the possibilities of how you can create a more relevant experience. And the, the reason why it's important is that the, the more relevant the experience means the more time someone will spend with your brand, the more time they spend with your brand, the more they'll respond and the more they'll act. So time spent is, a, is an early predictor of a more personalized experience or set another way, recirculation rate, which is the ability to go from one piece of content to another. Personalization is the safest way to, to do that. And if you're making a decision about what content should be served up, that's probably a flaw because actually humans, even well-trained content leader humans, we're not very good at making content decisions. Machine learning is, is much, much better at doing that. So if if you don't have an experiment going around that, then that could be a worthwhile test because once again, it will reduce the amount of money you have to spend on content because you'll be delivering more relevant content first time off. So it kind of gets you into that cycle of becoming more and more and more efficient. Yeah, without being too relevant. You don't want to be creepy relevant. <laughs> true like i think of that since i market to marketers a lot it's like how much do you want me to remind you that we all know all about everybody you know like we all know so much about each other but i can't just tell you outright so anyway robin or rebecca did you want to chime in on this one yeah i mean i think we have work to do around personalization this is this is a space of that that we have some some work to do there are ways that we try to get at it i mean there there's data that we know which is as i said we know where you're going so once we know where you're going we're able to you know deliver content to you that's relevant to you the newsletter has been the primary way that we've been able to 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 personalize more we'll understand a trip that you have upcoming and we're able to deliver content to you in that way. And we're asking questions. We we put polls forth where we say, oh, are you are you into traveling with your family? Are you into traveling with your pets? And, and so once we gather some of that, that data that people you know, offer to us, then we're able to deliver articles based on where what interests they have. We do geo-targeting. We know we know where you are in the world, where, you, where you're receiving this newsletter. So so we're able to then deliver stories that are relevant to you based on where you are. So that, that's how we've been approaching it on our side. I like that. Yeah, we're in a similar place, I would say, Robin, in terms of the level of personalization that we have. It's 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 not advanced at all. And we also in the UK and the EU more broadly have GDPR, which some of you may be familiar with, may not be familiar with. I don't know how much that plays a, a part in the kind of US marketing day to day. But if you're marketing to EU and UK customers, then yeah. again, and it, it's not a limitation, but we just need to make sure that we, we've collected and stored data and we use it sensibly. So we also want to make sure that that's all all kind of handled. If there, there's, I think there's small personalization. If you're someone who's sitting there thinking, oh my word, I don't have all of this in place at the moment, where do I start? There are small things that you could do to just make sure that people receive content that's aligned to, to them. I think what David was saying around actually relevance, if you only create content that is relevant for one of your roles or personas, then it's more likely that people are going to get things that they that are relevant to them. In our business, we have so many people that create content. It is not just the marketing team. We have you know thought leaders. We have research teams. We have people who like to create blog posts. People who like to be on podcasts, and and that's brilliant because it gets our people out there. You know, our our product in a lot of ways is our people. So we we need to showcase that. But but actually, it's it's all around making sure that they are creating that content with the end persona or role in mind. 
so that it's relevant. I think a lot of brands, us included, are very good at telling people what we want to tell them. And it can sometimes come across as chest beating. It can sometimes come across as irrelevant. Whereas actually, if you just think about what people want to hear in the value, then that's one way to deliver relevancy. It might not be personalization at this stage. It, it's making sure that it's it's satisfying them in some way. Yeah, I like kind of that stepping stone you just introduced. It might not be exactly personalized, but it's definitely relevant. And that's going to be a really yeah. good way to talk to your audience too. So this does bring up chat GPT all over the news saying, hey, I can write your content for you. But is that really what's going to happen? And we're running not short on time, but we have another great question right after this that I want to give everybody lots of time to answer. So David, I'm going to ask you to speak really quickly on chat GPT. What do you think about it? What are what's kind of a perspective? What should people be considering? We'll talk about a subject which has really caught everyone's imagination over the last few weeks. The underlying technology of algorithms and natural language processing has been around for a generation, but it's it's always been a bit rough in terms of the work which comes out. It's needed a lot of manual creation to make it accurate. But what ChatGPT seems to have done is actually develop an approach which is extremely fluent, scarily fluent, actually so fluent, you may even believe that what's being written is true, which is the issue, is that what you may be asking ChatGPT, you have no idea whether it's correct or not, because there's no sourcing, no references or, or backup. But in the, in the few weeks we've been using it at Notch, what we have seen is that it's a really good starting point around structure. If you imagine your essay plan or your, your outline for a story, a job description, if you start with ChatGPT, chances are you'll get maybe 80% of the way there from a structure point of view, and then you can go to work. And just as an exercise this morning, Ellen and I were preparing, I, I asked for a job description for a chief content officer and I got 10 points, actually for a modern chief content officer, so it's a slightly higher standard. And I think it got maybe 10 out of the 12 requirements, like within four seconds. So the exact question, what is a good job description for a modern chief content officer? And if you go to openai.com, you can, you can get the answer from your perspective. Yeah. But I, I would say it should be a, a tool for all creators and strategists, it it reduces the initial upfront desk research work to get your, just to f start to fill in the, a white piece of paper with an outline. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, I know you mentioned you've started playing with this in Savills and you said something in our prep call that stuck with me, which is that ChatGPT created, it was good content, but it didn't sound like Savills. Do you want to expand on that real quick? Yeah, it's, I, I've, I've only played around with it. I, I, as, as David said, I think it can take some of the heavy lifting. It's it's well-written in terms of its structure, but it's not got that distinct point of view. It's not got that distinct tone. So any anybody could write it, any competitor could write it, and you can't publish yeah. it how it is because that's not going to feed your, your good content for your business. But unless yeah. it's actual content, of course, that you want to produce, but I highly doubt that will be the case for many, for many people. It just right. it, there's there, there's at this moment in time I'm skeptical but it, it, it could help with some heavy lifting yes and nods all around David mentioned sources someone in the comments actually says it creates fake sources to support the output so definitely a lot going on around this to just be aware of too so we got some interesting poll results by the way it's about 30 percent of you have played around with chat GPT seven of you appreciated my my option to say I've seen enough LinkedIn posts about it to last me a lifetime so you're welcome I thought I was funny too and I also that's what I would have said but then in your there's a pretty even split between people who do think it has a role in marketing in the future and people who are still deciding but only four people said that it won't be here in in marketing in the future so it's really interesting and then also in the comments Margaret said that they've been using conversation tools finding it's really good for refining content, organizing it, making it more compelling, but again, not using it for anything that requires sources. And Rebecca shared that in healthcare, AI would be terrible because they do need sources. So good little chat around that. 
the final thing that we are going to chat about today has a little bit to do with your the changing role of a content leader. So has a little bit to do with, I think, all four of your backgrounds and what led you to being content leaders today. But then the inverse of that too, what will a content leader be doing in the proverbial tomorrow? So David, I know you have some thoughts on this too, if you can set this up even a little bit more. Well, I would say on this panel, we have a group of second generation content leaders who've actually come into content with some significant experience in another arena. The majority of content leaders are still first generation, so they're still in their first job and, and then working their way through. But that over the last 12 months, there have been some interesting trends which we've seen emerge, which is the closeness of content leaders and their user experience teams or experience planning team. Those two areas or capabilities seem to be almost on top of each other at this point. And also we've seen content leaders progress because of their frustration with their analytics partners. They're saying enough, we're just gonna bring analytics into the content team, which is actually a really good career move because that means they, they are then in control of measurement and ROI. So it's, it's more, maybe less creative, more business. I'm, I'm interested to hear Jay, Robin, Rebecca, the journeys you've been on, what, what, what's been the most, the pivot which you made where you went from being a marketer to like an integrated marketer or from an editor to a content leader how what what was the moment where what what happened when you suddenly realized oh i've taken a leap forward here oh, i'll tell you the the data told me what i had to write about instead of me deciding what i wanted to write about that was definitely those moments where uh, you recognize that as a business, your personal feelings or your gut feelings may not reflect in what the data is telling you. And so that was a big change. And the, the biggest roles were bringing in more and more data into the conversation. It, it, it helps make the conversation shorter in a lot of ways. So you don't have to prove your content as well when you have data to support it. So that was another big role and and making sure that you also aligned your performances with the rest of the department. So you had some common ground with the rest of the marketing department working on, you know, click to, click to, to buy type of advertising, which is very short, quick and, and, and very gratifying because it gives you immediate results where content is a much longer journey in most cases, but the, you can still have the same performance language with those teams. The other area was making sure you had a spot at the table when it came to the overall content strategy or campaign strategies that the brand was working on. Most of your content is an offshoot or an extension of what the main campaign themes that are being pushed out by your brand, especially when you're in TV spaces and other places where there's like linear spaces where there's not any back and forth or not any place for the audience to engage with your content. So when it came to that, it was really important that when you were extending those storylines or making sure that you're putting out content that resonated and helped separate you, your uniqueness in the space, it made sense, it tied into the overall brand, but you were also able to chop it up and have smaller conversations or niche conversations with your same content as well to, to build affinity with those groups that you want to build affinity with because your advertising has lots of different functions, but it all has to communicate to one another or point at one another because that is your brand voice, obviously. I guess I would say that my career, I guess, has been kind of a constant evolution. I mean, starting as a journalist, it's very straightforward, right? It's like, there's a story that you're going after, you're doing the interviews, you're getting that, you know, the, and shaping the story yourself to present, you know, to your reader. And then making that transition to discovery, for me, it became about translation. And I think for this point, for, from that point forward, it's been me being a translator, right? Translating what is appearing on air, what's on television, and converting it into something that makes sense for someone digital or on social. And, and then moving then into Marriott, it's, it's the same thing. It's, 
It's translating, you know, one message and making it something that makes sense from a consumer standpoint. And, and I think that I think that's what we're doing as content marketers is that we're understanding what the business objectives are and translating them in a way that's going to make sense to a larger population, a larger audience to make it more consumer friendly. For, for me, I, I started in a very niche part of marketing, which might not be marketing to some people in customer advocacy. So we were very much taking the voice of the customer and, and using that to shape products, using that to shape marketing strategies in some way when, when I was at Thomson Reuters. And I, I think from there on, I became a more general, generalist marketer, moving into KPMG, very much dealt with every marketing touch point across a specific sector. But having worked with those large organizations, I think I realized that, well, lots of people talk to the same audience all the time, but we've got all of these different streams of activity happening. So it, it, there's no consistency. And I personally just like consistency, to be honest. And I, I like what I do to have a purpose. And I like to see results as an individual. So when I took the leap over to Savills, it was it was a challenge. We didn't have that content marketing structure in place. But but to build that, I think it needed somebody who was very much naturally a convener. And as content marketers, that is what we need to be. We, as I said earlier, we cannot exist as an island. We have to be talking to the brand team, our insights team. We have to be talking to our digital marketing team, our website team. It goes on and on and on, email every single channel. And I, I enjoy that variety, I enjoy that challenge. But actually, it takes somebody with a specific skill set to be able to constantly join all of that up and, and make sense of it. I, I think it's I think it's Google that coined the, the content team as the messy middle and the content bit. It is very messy. So if you feel like it's messy, that's probably you're probably doing something right. That's probably normal. Never but thought I, of it that way. It was always you were sort of the center. You could feel like you're an on island sometimes, but when it comes to your collaboration, it was my favorite part of the job because you collected stories from all over the company. It wasn't just specifically from your marketing department. So to build those stories, to make those connections, you had to draw from every corner of your, of your organization. And that gave you a lot of perspective on what your organization is up to. You were able to you know, boil down a lot of that into a much more better package for your customer and be able to, to point at the other, the other areas of the company that you're working on and your, that your company is working on for your customers. So that was able to be accomplished in your content as well. Making backlinks, you know, putting all that into your site, thinking about how to support your other departments with the finished product, because while you're taking the point position, putting out the content, you, you need the support network behind you. So you're making sure that everyone is well represented as far as your stakeholder groups in any type of content you're creating. Wonderful. And I think hopefully you are all watching the chat. You all got lots and lots of support from, in Robin's words, the recovering journalists in the room, which is hilarious to me. But also customer advocacy is a really great spot to begin too. And everybody just basically saying yes to all of this. So. I want to say a really quick thank you to all of our wonderful panelists for bringing your expertise and sharing your time with us. Jay, David, Robin, Rebecca, this has been a really, really wonderful conversation. Thanks so much.